Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. This morning's reading, three, three passages of Scripture taken out of the uh, New International Version. Okay, Romans 8, 28 to 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 3, 13 to 18. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 1 John 3, 1-3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Well, let's move into our our topic for this morning. And we're in a series on being and making disciples is the headline. And last week and this week, the, the sort of subtitle, if you like, is stewardship. Stewardship. And, uh... I wanted to ask how your year has started. Did you know the year's kind of really only just begun? Let me share a few words with you. Uh, Shopping, washing, deadlines, homework, vacuuming, sports practice, music practice, events, visitors, cleaning, gardening, fixing stuff that broke, computer issues, study, paying the bills, heat stress, getting sick, looking after people who are getting sick, 
Making big decisions, making little decisions, not making decisions but knowing you need to. Managing disagreements, having disagreements. That was just my Friday. We are busy. I had Sue's got a slide for us here. She does a tremendous job. That's kind of, do you ever feel like that? I definitely enjoy my coffee and I'd prefer it with sugar. So I really get that picture. We are really busy. And not only are we busy these days, but we're confronted by all sorts of choice, endless choice, whether it's for our information or for communication, entertainment, purchasing stuff. There's so much choice. And there's this complexity of change around us, isn't there? There's technology and apps to societal views to weather patterns. So when we think about stewarding our time and talent in and amongst the busyness and the changes, it's actually a really important question. It's very relevant for us, but it can seem really difficult. How do we spend our time wisely in and amongst all of that? How do we use our talents to best effect? Now, there's plenty of great biblical advice. So if you've got your, if you're a note taker, I'd love to encourage you all to be note takers. Now's the time, get out your phone, get out your pens. I'm going to give you a couple of spots to go. The parable of the talents. You probably expected that one. Matthew 25 or Luke 19, that's good reading. Or if you want to sort of soak on this idea of where should I spend my time, maybe go and look at what Mary and Martha were doing in Luke 10. A couple of good Bible references for you. Uh, maybe you're also into reading books. Uh, and I've got a couple of books here that I'm going to give you their title. I haven't read them. So these are not recommendations from Pastor Pete, but they're great titles. They sound really interesting. How about this one? Divine Time Management, The Joy of Trusting God's Loving Plans for You. That sounds like a pretty good book, doesn't it? How about this one? Time Management for the Christian Manager. Hmm. There's lots and lots of books out there. There's some good stuff in the Bible that we should read through. But here's the thing. As I was thinking about this sermon, I thought we could do that. And, and it, there is value in thinking about how we do this prioritization and there's great techniques. But I realized that most of the time when I think about this question of stewarding my time and stewarding my talents, I'm generally coming from the perspective of me. I'm often asking this question in the sense of, how can I best run my life? I will steward my time and my talents. And I've discovered I'm not alone. We, uh, the, the Carey leadership team, at the start of every year, we go away for a couple of days just to pray, listen to what God's got to say. And this year we had a really great speaker. Her name was Tanya, Tanya Watson. And uh, she's a minister here in WA. And she happens to have completed a PhD fairly recently related to Australian culture. And she had this fascinating insight. She said that as a country, Australia has a very high focus on individualism. Individualism. Well, what is that? Well, well that's where, uh, as a culture, we tend to... F the, the ties between people are fairly loose. And we tend to expect everybody should be able to... Just look after yourself and maybe your immediate family. And what's the opposite, to give us a contrast? The opposite is called collectivism. And that's a culture where people are, are much more integrated into, say, broader family groups. And the way that they think is, what am I doing? Will it affect 
all of this group, the uncles and the aunts and the kids and the grandmas and the grandpas and the whole group. And I, I had a look at some, some research, and I've actually got a picture here of this guy, Gert Hofstetter, who has done a study. And I don't know how he's exactly come up with these numbers, but what you can see there is that Australia's pretty high. In fact, it's in the top three, and not only is it in the top three, I'll sort of move so some of you can sort of see past me, but it's also 10 points above the next few countries. Now, if you could show the next slide, the list doesn't end there. Did you see that? Australia's on 89, 90, and there are all these countries that are way down in the 20s and the 10s, and what have we got? Guatemala on six. They're very collectivist. And so, so what, what does all this mean? We are society that's steeped in this idea of individualism, that the focus is very much about me. And so I realise that I'm not only fighting my own sinful, selfish nature, but also this culture that we have perhaps here, which is much more focused on being an individual than on the collective. And so I realised that this question about stewarding, stewarding time and talent, I wanted to figure out how can I ask that question from a follower of Jesus perspective rather than from a Mr. Peter Scott perspective. And then I can translate it and figure it out. And so as I was thinking and praying about this, I thought that what we should talk about this morning, focus our time on, was this idea. Stewarding our Christ-likeness. I want to talk this morning about stewarding our Christ-likeness. And I want to introduce it by talking about those three passages that Tony read. And you may have been thinking, well, I know that we're talking about stewardship. What on earth do these passages have to do with stewardship? I'm about to unpack that for you. Romans 8.29. Well, we read 8.28. Now, many of you, if you've got a memory verse, it's a pretty good one to have, isn't it? God's going to work everything good for me. That's what Romans 28 can be slightly misconstrued. But it's, it's a great verse. It says that God's working all things for good for those who know and love the Lord. But it goes on. Here's what I want to focus on, verse 29. It, said that those, it says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. For you theologians out there, I am not going to move into predestination. But what I want to draw out of this verse is the idea that if, if we just read that, it gives us this sense that God, God doesn't look at us in church and say, you've been here for five years. I think you can get on this journey of being Christ-like. Oh, you're good enough now. You've sort of made it. You can start to become... No, no, no. Before we became Christians, before we were born, God has this plan that you and I would become like his son, like Jesus. The second passage... 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And it says this, we are, we, and I'll just read verse 18. We who with unveiled faces, all, some, some translations say reflect, some contemplate, all contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into his likeness. Now, if, if the bit about the veil is quite interesting. It actually refers to Exodus 34, where Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. 
And when he did that, it says that he wore this veil because there was something that it was too hard for the people of Israel to see this radiant face of someone who had actually seen and met with God. So there had to be this sort of this block, if you like. And Paul is saying here, no, no, there's no block anymore. That's what the veil means. But more importantly for our discussion, it says that we are being, present continuous, if you're an English grammar person, we are being transformed into his likeness. So it's you and me. Today, this week, we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Wow. So God's long planned this. It's in process. And then when we come to 1 John 3, 2, it says, it talks about the future, but we know that when he appears, so this is talking about when Jesus comes back, when he appears, we shall be like him. Isn't that amazing? I think that's, if we're in a Pentecostal church, we'd all be going, hallelujah, this is amazing news. We are being transformed into being like Jesus Christ. It's something that God's planned. It's something that's happening as we speak. And it's something that will happen. It's incredible. It's part of the amazing good news. Who feels like that all the time? Good on you, Gordon. Not all of us do. Doesn't feel like that all the time, but that's what the Bible tells us. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm making a few, you know, two steps forward and then maybe a step backwards. But what's our role in it? Whether we feel it or not, we read it in the Bible, this is truth. And the question is, as we think about stewarding our Christ-likeness, What's our role? And here's what I want to propose to you. Our role is to cooperate with what God is already doing. And the beauty of it is that we do that in the freedom of knowing it's not a performance test. This is not something we have to achieve. It's something God's doing. And we're invited in to cooperate with what God is doing. I find that so exciting. There's a freedom to the invitation rather than a pressure. And so as we think about this idea of how we cooperate, I want to propose to you three different questions that we can ask ourselves to cooperate in stewarding our Christ-likeness. And I want to put them as questions, again, so that we don't feel pressure. These are questions for us to ask about our lives as we think about how are we doing this? How are we working with God? So here's my first question. As we steward our Christ-likeness, my first question is, what is God doing in me and in us through this? What is God doing in me and in us through this? Now, we frequently face tough circumstances. Seasons of life when things are deeply, deeply challenging. We've talked about something this morning already that is really challenging. We also have just day-to-day challenges. Interactions with someone who's a bit frustrating or difficult. And I think it's tempting to put our attention solely on the circumstance. That's the this in the question. Put your attention on the this. Yet so often God's at work transforming us in and through the circumstances. Now, I want to give you an example out of Jesus' life. Jesus did this all the time. 
You know this story. It's the story of Lazarus. We find it in John 11. Now, it's hard to read it because we all know what happened with Lazarus, right? He rose from the dead. But let's just sort of pretend we don't know that somehow, park that in the back of our minds. And imagine, or not imagine, but as you read through the first part of John 11, what you see is that Mary and Martha, they send Jesus and the disciples a message and they say, Lazarus is really crook. And Jesus and his disciples have this discussion. And his disciples are looking at the circumstance. They're saying, oh, this is terrible. Our mate Lazarus, he's really not well. And Jesus, do you remember when we were there previously, they were about to stone you. It's very dangerous to travel back there. The disciples are saying, here's the circumstance. Our really good friend's sick, but there's a travel ban. This is a red zone. We can't go there. That's the circumstance that they're looking at. But Jesus doesn't look at the circumstance. If we read in John eleven fourteen, here's what Jesus says. He says, a little paraphrase, guys, I'm sorry to tell you, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. There's this deep transformation work that Jesus is about. Lazarus is dead. But I'm actually glad that that circumstance has occurred. Why? Because something much deeper is going on here. It's that you may believe. Isn't that incredible? So my first question for us as we think about stewarding our Christ-likeness, as we go through all sorts of circumstances, is to say, what is God doing in me? And what is God doing in us through this? Second question, how can I, how can we serve in God's world today? Vision Sunday, God spoke to us, he's saying this year is about us serving in God's world. I'd encourage you to actually go and listen to the podcast. If you already, uh, well, if you were here, just to remind yourself, if you weren't, just to get a flavour of where we're going this year and what God is leading us into serving in God's world. I believe that being Christ-like and serving are inseparable. Jesus himself says that the Son of Man, so he himself, came not to be served, but to serve. That's in Matthew 20, 28. And the thing about serving is, by its very definition, it shifts our focus from me to you or to others because you are serving somebody else's needs or desires. We heard this morning from James and Ruth Suko. They were called into an overseas post to serve people, to be overseas missionaries. So great to hear their story. Hearts motivated for love of the Japanese people. In and around our church, we have plenty of opportunities to serve as well. In fact, I thought that because we're talking about this, we'd actually put up a list. So if we can just have that next slide, please. I've got two slides. This is the first one. I've asked all of our ministry leaders to say, where are the opportunities to serve? Now, we've highlighted, I think, one on each slide. They are the most urgent, but they're all important. There might be something up there where you think, ah, we're talking about stewarding our time and talents. Maybe this is something I could step into. We just wanted to highlight this for you. Can we pop the second one on, please? 
lots of fantastic opportunities to serve around here. And if there is something there that you think, oh, I'm interested, but I can't quite remember what it was, we've got a table down the back afterwards. Go down the back and check out with either Miranda or Sarah. They'll have a list there and just have a chat and say, hey, would I be interested maybe in stepping into that? There are lots of opportunities to serve us. But there are also opportunities to serve in different ways. We've talked this morning already about how we serve our community in the way we stand with them, in the way we pray for them, in the way that we have conversations. That's another way that we serve. And God calls each of us to serve in the place he's got us, in your workplace, in your place of study. Perhaps you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mum. God calls us into those places to serve. And the question that we can be asking ourselves is, how can I serve in God's world today? Thirdly, as we think about stewarding our Christ-likeness, the third question I'd encourage you to be asking is this, with whom am I being and making disciples? With whom am I being and making disciples? Now, my simple reading of being Christ-like and how Jesus did this is it's not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport. Now, there are times, there are times where it's really good and it's important to just be alone and to be with God. I'm not saying that that's not good and right. But for all of us, I think that becoming Christ-like is something that also involves being in community. And what might this look like? What might that community look like? And, and you might be thinking, oh, well I, well, I do this and that. Does that count? Well, again, I don't want to be prescriptive on what you have to and shouldn't do. But I want to be asking you to ask some questions. I'm going to give you more questions. You're probably going to go away from this morning thinking, oh, all I got was questions, no answers. But sometimes in the question, there's all sorts of answers. So let me propose three more questions for you to be asking yourself. First one, am I meeting regularly with someone or a group of people and intentionally discussing following Jesus? Am I meeting regularly with someone or a group of people to intentionally discuss following Jesus? Do we pray together? And do we discuss scripture and how it applies to our lives? They're the questions. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, does it have to be like a traditional small group or a life group or you know, sometimes we've called them disciple groups, discipleship groups here at Kerry? And the answer is no. No, it doesn't have to be a group like that. Could that be a place where you are being and making disciples? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm frequently asked about small groups and home groups at Kerry. Do we have them? Yes, we do. Would I like there to be more? Yes, I would. So if you're interested, please let us know. Step forward. We would love people who would like to be involved, perhaps to host, to lead, to just be part of groups that are being and making disciples. But there are other ways to do it as well. Now, over the last year, uh, I've come in contact with a, with a really excellent idea. And I'm going to be sharing that with you during this year. I'll, I'll give you the name of it now. It's called the Discovery Bible Method. And we'll be talking more about this over the coming year. And the idea of the Discovery Bible Method is that you simply say to somebody, I'd like to read the Bible. Would you be interested in reading it with me? And you sit together with one or two people and you read the Bible. And you would be surprised at who says yes. 
you would be surprised at how open people are to saying, okay. That's also a way of being and making disciples. And there are many others. But if we're asking ourselves these questions, am I regularly meeting with someone or a group of people to intentionally discuss following Jesus? Do we pray together? And do we discuss scripture and how it applies to our lives? I think we're on the way to answering this question, with whom am I being and making disciples? So there are the three big questions that I wanted to leave you with this morning, stewarding our Christ-likeness. What is God doing in me and in us through this, through this circumstance? How can I, how can we serve in God's world today? And with whom am I being and making disciples? And I think if we start to ask those questions, if that's where we focus, other things fall into place. The questions about stewarding my time and my talent and my finances, they all find their place. And here's where I want to finish today, with some encouragement for this journey. With some encouragement. So we've already discussed that it's God's plan that will become Christ-like. That he's working right now in your life and in mine. And that this work will be complete. And it's God himself who provides the power for us to do that through his Holy Spirit. That's the encouragement this morning. We have this power that we can draw on, which is God himself, his Holy Spirit, that speaks to us. Let me read to you Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 16. Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through the power of the Spirit, you are becoming Christ like. And he goes on to say, And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Hallelujah and amen. We're invited to join God to cooperate in this work of becoming Christ-like. Together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might steward this idea of becoming like Jesus for his glory. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, Your word tells us about this journey that we're on to become like your son. Hallelujah and thank you. Thank you for this exciting process and the destination. You invite us to be part of this. You ask us to cooperate with you in this, to steward our Christ-likeness. Would you give us eyes to see how you're at work in our circumstances? Would you give us courage to step into service of you, service of others, service of our community? And would you draw us into relationship? Draw us into relationship and community, small and large, whether introverted or extroverted, that we might together become more like you. And Father, to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power, that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church, this church, throughout this and all generations, forever and ever. Amen.